This is the January 5 edition of Commodity Week. Todd Gleason services are made available to WILL by University of Illinois Extension. Welcome to Commodity Week. Our panelists for the day include Matt Bennett. He's at agmarket.net out of Windsor, Illinois. Ellen Dearden joins us from Morton, Illinois and Ag Review. And Mike Zuzlo is here at globalcomresearch.com out of Atchison, Kansas. Commodity Week is a production of Illinois Public Media. It's public radio for the farming world. Find it online at willag.org. And right now, through Monday, you can still register for the Illinois Farm Economics Summits. The Farm Doc team will be on the road next week in Mount. Mount Vernon, East Peoria, and DeKalb, and you can join us for those morning-long events. The details are all online at willag.org or farmdocdaily.illinois.edu. Let's get a list of items we should discuss for the day. I'll start with you, Ellen Dearden. Well, in in spite of the fact that uh, we have seen uh, three days down, pretty hard down to start the year, I think we need to keep price action in perspective. We're still well above a year ago. If I look at uh, December corn, new crop corn, at this time last year, we were at $5.55 and November beans were around $13. And we're we're above those levels right now. Mike Zuzlo, globalcomresearch.com. You know, kind of on a similar vein as Ellen, I you know, this... Uh, Price action as we start the year kind of reminds us that we can't shake those skeletons from last year of China and the Federal Reserve. And uh, to me, it looks pretty uh, dangerous is, is I think, a, a good word to explore uh, during this Commodity Week program. All right. We'll come back to that. Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. Yeah. And I think that uh, the dangerous comment uh, makes me feel cautious. I think that's the best way that I've explained it lately or the way that I've explained it most often lately uh, is my approach here at the start of the year. And, you know, so I I definitely could take something from both of these guys. uh, First comment, Um, Ellen, you know, uh, the bottom line is that, uh, um, you know, at the calendar turn, uh, July beans were, a buck 51 higher than we've ever seen them uh, at the turn of the calendar. Uh, the second highest was back in 2012 at 1382. We we closed the year out at 1533. So highest ever for November beans and highest ever for Deese corn as well. So, you know, um, those are things that we've got to pay close attention to. We've already got awfully good prices. I know everyone wants to be bullish most of the time, but uh, you got to ask yourself, you know, how bad do you want to be bullish at these levels? Well, Ellen Dearden, I want to come back to your in spite of three days down, keep the price action in perspective comment are you feeling that there's more support under this marketplace than some might think we've got we've got some decent support now keep in mind that the uh, lows that we made on march corn just a month ago were 635 and i think we'll find really good support there uh march beans we could get down to 1430 or or 1450 pretty easily but i think going below that is going to require some changes what are the fundamentals that continue to support the marketplace? Well, we've got uh, pretty decent demand on the crush side on the beans. We certainly uh, have had uh, a raft of export bookings in on the bean side as well. Keep in mind that we made a new contract high in Jan meal today. That was just crazy uh, with the meal being higher in the nearby months uh, fading in the back months. On the corn side of things, exports are dull. We know that. Uh, we've seen ethanol production drop off quite a bit. Uh, I, I looked at the first three months on ethanol production. 
and we're down about four and a half percent from a year ago. And keep in mind that USDA on the last supply demand report was only down about one percent from a year ago. So that's probably not as supportive. But I think this cold weather spat we've got, we'll see some more uh, livestock uh, corn use for livestock feeding. We're also using uh, other uh, feed grains as well on livestock. Matt Bennett, you made note during the closing market report on Thursday that the ethanol numbers were, quote, dismal this week. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, there's no question that the ethanol numbers, uh, you know, a huge downturn. Now, of course, I think some of that's got to do with weather, but we've certainly come down here the last, you know, couple, three weeks. And so, uh, you know, I, I guess what a person has to ask themselves is, uh, you know, where we go from here. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, we've got a situation where uh, you get out west, you get out in Mike's neck of the woods, if you will, you know, and, and what do you got to do to get that, uh, to get that corn out there to that neighborhood? And uh, there's no question, you know, what you've got to do is you got to bid up to get it. And so, you know, whenever you happen to bid up to get it, obviously it's really pulling down your margins. And so, you know, it's, it's concerning. And uh, I've got to think that uh, this January report, if they wanted to maybe cut back just a shade, I could see it happening. I'm not necessarily predicting it will, but I don't think uh, that we can, we can ignore the fact that if they don't scale back on corn usage for ethanol in January, they're pretty likely to do it, you know, in subsequent reports. All right, Mike. So because uh, you had such a tough year there in the western part of the United States, uh, you have both ethanol plants, which I think in Kansas to some extent are being serviced by sorghum. That probably is another issue we need to take up. Uh, and you have uh, f uh, the feedlots that really uh, need to consume a lot of corn. Is it possible futures could move lower, yet basis closes maybe even into overs? I, yeah, I think that's possible at the end of the month. There's a lot of corn moving out here right now, Todd, that uh, we did have good yields in the eastern part of Kansas, and a lot of corn is moving west right now. A lot of Nebraska clients are seeing a lot of corn being bid up and moved uh, either by rail or even truck, um, and even cattle are being moved out of Nebraska down to Kansas feedlots uh, recently from what I'm being told. So yeah, I think that basis, it's, it's taken a dip because we're moving corn but I do think it's the, the canary in the coal mine for how tight we are here in the Western Corn Belt. I would like you to turn your attention to one of the two things that you picked up as we started the program. Can you talk about your issues related to the Federal Reserve? Yeah, and, and I'll jump into China really briefly, too, because I think it's the more important aspect. But the, the sleeper issue is the U.S. dollar. You know, Matt and Ellen and I talk about that a lot when we talk to you. Uh, it needed to be a, a tailwind in this 2023 market, given the corn and wheat export demand that we have left on the table, especially with Brazil selling to China so aggressively in the corn market. We're not getting that because the Federal Reserve minutes yesterday said we're not backing down and don't expect us to because we're not going to give you any false signals, you being the financial markets. But the big thing to me right now, Todd, is that the, the Chinese COVID policy gave us this rally going into the holidays. But the policy and the and the curtain has been pulled back, and Oz is who he is in, in the movie, essentially a small little man trying to control everything. And there are people out there suggesting at this point, really good analytical firms suggesting that deaths in China could hit 25,000 a day by the end of January. You, you tag three months, that's 2.25 million deaths in, in three months, and that's during the Lunar New Year, so on and so forth. And so this corresponds in my mind with this lack of conviction in the trade 
uh, the momentum and sentiment indicators that are so important in our markets in the short term uh, getting really wobbly and really major wedge pennant triangle formations, whatever you, whatever you want to call them, on a lot of the commodity index charts that I track. And so I think Ellen is 100% right on the meal. I think the weather in Argentina in the United States should matter. But right now, it just simply doesn't, it seems. All right, Ellen. So I'll come back to you on this. And I want to talk about short term, maybe six months as it's related to China. Uh, is it possible that we could see um, Chinese needs because of COVID really plummet? Uh, the U.S. not be able to export corn in its normal corn exporting area to that part of the country, and then them turn to, in July and August, to Brazil so that we essentially lose that part of our export market altogether? I, I think that's possible. Um, China demand for feed grains and also oil seeds is going to be way down even though the prices right now for their soybeans are up over $19 a bushel. Um, I think we, depending on how this COVID situation plays out, and I think we, we can fully expect that there's three months of high incidences of COVID, not just in China, but in all of the world, uh, that will really cut into demand. Now, that doesn't Say that they're not going to be eating something because obviously they will be, but um, I think their demand for corn and or soybean meal could really drop off considerably as we go into late late part of the winter, maybe early part of the summer. Brazil's got a huge crop to use up too. They're they're exporting corn right now, just hand over fist, and you know we thought they were getting pretty well sold out, and they're continuing to to uh, trump the U.S. market. As Mike pointed us to China, let's continue down that path. Matt Bennett, how important is China in the global marketplace? I know the answer to this question, but I need you to give me uh, some insight on it and what it really means to both corn exports from the U.S. and soybean exports from the United States and how much of an issue it is for each of those commodities. You know, I mean, obviously they're a global powerhouse. Uh, you know, whenever you've got uh, the just sheer volume of, of hog production in that part of the world, uh, there's no question that your soybean meal demand is going to stay extremely strong. Demand for soybeans is going to stay extremely strong. A big reason why our soybean export program has looked as good as what it's looked, especially relatively speaking, uh, compared to the corn export program is due to China. And so, you know, you look over at the corn situation, and I happen to think that China could come in looking for some U.S. corn. There should be uh, a period over the next four to five months that we will have the opportunity, you know, and with folks talking about you know, maybe not having as much corn uh, to pull out of the Black Sea region, you know, is what we uh, previously thought, you know, whenever they're able to get the crop planted in, in Ukraine. I've got to think that we've got an opportunity. Now, with that being said, uh, I'm not so sure that we're still going to hit the USDA goal. It's uh, it's going to be tough to do so. But if we do hit the USDA goal, I think to kind of bring this full circle, Todd, it's going to be because Chinese demand is going to have to be present, in my opinion, uh, to even sniff that goal. Uh, can um, maybe, Mike, you take this part of it up. Uh, how much is being built in uh, renewable diesel processing? And will it make a difference in the end of this marketing year for soybeans 
or not? I do think it'll make a difference. Um, I think that when the EPA came out and the uh, Department of Energy um, gave fresh numbers, uh, both of them about a month or so ago, a lot of bullish people had to jump out of the soybean oil longs that they were in. <clears throat> we're still relatively tight globally in Malaysia. The demand is still very strong in other parts of Eastern Asia. Um, China obviously is the number one issue, um, the number one commodity buyer in a lot of commodities, but the rest of East Asia, India in particular, are doing very, very well right now. So I think we will swing back around. I think what we have to navigate, Todd, is the momentum and sentiment in the month of January and what that could do to us, given the January 12th crop report right around the corner. This market reminds me a lot of mid-October, where we had a lot of fundamental factors post-harvest, <clears throat> low yields, decent demand for the most part. That all went by the wayside because the trade caught wind of zero COVID in China and got deflationary on us, and, and the Federal Reserve got super hawkish on us. And so I just don't want a repeat of that without the clients and subscribers knowing that could be right around the corner. And as Matt said, get defensive on it. doesn't mean you throw in the towel and crawl in a hole for the next six months, but the next 30 days, it could be rough depending on how we shake out this next week. Well, let's talk a little bit about those USDA reports. There are three of them that are due out Ellen Dearden, the final crop production report for the year, the grain stocks number as of December 1st, and of course, the monthly World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimate. Can you start with the changes that you think may show up with the grain stocks numbers, if any? I think the grain stocks number could end up being higher than what people expect from for two reasons. One is we have seen a, a big decline in et corn use for ethanol over the last quarter. I mean, it's not just a one-week phenomena, even though this past week was really dismal. Um, and I think it is possible that we had underestimated the corn yield by a hair. So both of those could come together and give us uh, larger uh, stocks than what the trade probably is looking for. Um, when we go into the final production number, I think we have to expect to see at least see declines in uh, demand uh, domestically. Uh, both on the export side and on the ethanol side. How do you build those into your marketing plan? I think we're, um, we'll, by the time this report comes out in a week's time, we will have dialed in some of those numbers, particularly if we have March corn down at the 635 area. Um, so to me, we will di start dialing in those once those uh, estimates come out from Dow Jones. Yeah, and so I, I agree with Ellen. I mean, we actually dialed up our yield uh, just a little bit, just a shade under half a half a bushel. I've got to think that you know after you came in and and lowered the yield in September and October, and then you actually bumped up in November, you know, it, it gives you the the thought process that maybe there's a little bit more there to take. And so I don't think it's anything extravagant when you look at the. Uh, a lack of corn in certain parts of the country, especially out there west of the Mississippi and areas. But at the same time, I do think that there's a fair amount of corn out there uh, that would lead me to believe the yield would go up a little bit. And then, of course, demand, I think, should be shaved down just a little bit. I don't think you're going to increase carryout more than, oh, 100, 150 million bushels, but I do think that it'll increase some. Uh, 
And so as a producer, you know, how do you, how do you approach that? I think at the very least, you know, there's some options that you can buy on the put side of things that will uh, just put a floor under yourself that, you know, they may expire uh, next Friday. It may be a February option, but by all means, having something in place in the event that you see a limit move, because the January report certainly possesses the kind of uh, power, firepower, if you will, to be able to provide a limit move. And you certainly uh, are going to uh, laugh about it if it's up. But if it's down, uh, a lot of folks are going to go home with their head, uh, head down low. So, you know, I want to be in a situation where I'm not super worried about it. And I, at the very least, want to have a floor under prices. Mike Suzlow, this set of reports normally sets the tone for about three months until we get to the prospective plantings report at the end of March. I'm sure you've done some calculations on what things might look like next week. Do you have assessments? Yeah, and I, I think just to kind of tie in with what Matt and Ellen were just talking about, I, I think we're going into a January report much like what we've seen in many of these WASDI reports where the trade's trying to keep a premium in the soybeans. Why? Because of the demand side. And, and it really does get that simple to a lot of traders, I think, Todd. So that means to me <clears throat> we better see good demand and some South American production cuts because the trade's going to have some of that priced in, especially with traders now talking about some more rainfall potential in dry areas of, of uh, Brazil and, and some dry areas of Argentina. But my basic point at this point going into the report with clients right now is, is that one of two things, and this goes back to Ellen's comment about the meal, look at the premium in the Jan meal versus the March as the Jan gets ready to go off the board. <clears throat> look at the fact that the corn market still has an inversion by a half a penny in the March versus the May. These are important, especially given these reports upcoming, but if we can't keep the meal and the bean bull spread strong here, um, I think one of two things is going to have to happen. Either the corn and wheat come in and support the beans after the report, or the beans lose more premium while the corn and wheat follow maybe not as much. So my mindset is that 102, to answer your question directly, that 102 ending stocks number in South America for Brazil, um, for the world ending stocks especially, cannot grow. And it may. <clears throat> and And one last point is, where is the corn market rally for Argentina? When you think about Argentina, their their percentage of the South American production is about 44% in corn production, but it's only 23% in soybeans. It's it's a 50 million bean crop versus a 150 million bean crop in, in Brazil. The trade, I don't think, has dialed that in at all yet. How far along are they in their growing season for corn? Do you know? Second crop is they're harvesting soybeans in the north. Second crop is wanting to be put in right behind it. Weather is not helping. Uh, Argentine soybeans are still lagging, but they've caught up a little bit with rains. So that puts your corn probably still lagging as well by maybe 10%. Yeah, so they're still, but they're still very early season in Argentina at this point. That's right. So, Ellen, how do we put it all together? What should producers consider in the next week, if anything? In the next week, I think you could look at buying puts, but I sure wouldn't be spending much money for anything other than a little little bit of time into the May uh, corn options or maybe into the uh, May bean options. Not, no further than that. Um, I also think that on next week's report, it's going to be very important to see what USDA does with the Argentine corn, bean, and wheat crops, 
because they're all much elevated from all the private estimates um, and they haven't made many changes over the last month. So I think that that Argentine numbers are, are going to come in being lower and I don't think the trade um, is going to react positively unless those numbers are down really hard. Matt Bennett, what else should we take up today? Oh, I, you know, in all honesty, I think um, one thing that we've got to understand from my vantage point is that, you know, most producers, especially uh, in our part of the world, and I know Mike's in a little different uh, zip code than where I'm at, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of money made in 2022, a lot of money made in 2021. And as you come up on such a big report, I think you got to be proactive about looking at what your profit margins and your break evens look like and not get too, uh, I guess, uh, you know, disenchanted with the fact that uh, they're not near what they were a year ago. You know, so 2023, is it going to be tighter? Absolutely. But are 2023 profit margins going to be better than uh, many years we've had in the last seven or eight years, particularly like 2015 through 2019? And the answer, I think, is easily yes. And so, you know, I think you got to understand that while it may not be the type of year you had uh, maybe in 2022, uh, at least putting yourself in a situation where your worst case scenario is locked in at a profitable area, I think that's pretty tough. Uh, it's a pretty tough thing to argue with. You talked about uh, the price of anhydrous ammonia or nitrogen during the closing market report and it being down at this point. Uh, what's the average price in Illinois now? Okay, so um, locally, you know, we were looking at the difference at, at the calendar turn once again. So I know a lot of moving parts in 2022, uh, you know, for the 22 crop, I guess in the fall of 21, previous to harvest, a lot of cheap anhydrous got booked. But as of Jan 1 of 22, you were looking at an average price in my area of around 15.75 a ton. DAP was 9.50 and potash was 8.50. But as of this year, and so one year later, you're actually looking at anhydrous at 1350 a ton, uh, DAP at 875 and potash at 750. So all three are lower. Uh, and I've got to think with uh, some of this action we've had in that gas, you know, there could be a, a pretty decent opportunity that you would see uh, further uh, opportunities and maybe see a little bit cheaper anhydrous here and there. So, you know, I think that there's some opportunities there, but I think a person has to be very um, much ready and willing to pounce whenever they get an opportunity to lock in a little bit lower price. Uh, on on that note, Mike, can we talk a little bit about energies? Because the first LNG deliveries by ship were made to Western Europe this week from the United States. So liquid natural gas is going out of the country. Yes, it is. And uh, Freeport's back online. And that's nice to see um, from a standpoint of not having uh, excess supplies here and dragging down natural gas prices here. Um, I think the biggest issue that the Europeans have that is a major tailwind for them and has, has helped us take out some major support levels in the European natural gas versus last year's prices has been the fact that they're having a record warm winter in Europe. And it's almost the exact opposite situation in the Baltic states. But I, I have to say that I do feel like 2023, and I think there's a lot of people feeling this way, um, be interested to hear what the others have to say. But I think 23 is going to be much more difficult to navigate. But that doesn't mean you you know, bury your head in the sand and walk away from the market. It actually means get more engaged with these markets because take, for instance, what's happening with the, the Ukrainian war and what's happening with Russia. Um, one minute you're hearing that a peace may break out and that we're going to have a Christmas uh, truce that, that, that Russia wants to put in place. That was put out on Thursday. 
at the exact same moment, practically within two hours, we're hearing much more severe weaponry is being sent over to Ukraine from Germany and the United States. And I think 2023, we have to open up our eyes a little bit and wonder if there's not a bigger war that may be coming and that could really impact us in the commodities. So I think it's worth sitting down with people like Ellen and Matt and I to talk about these scenarios. And France as well, as far as it goes for support for Ukraine and weaponry uh, coming into that country. Ellen, any final word for the day? Uh, I'm going into this report next week with my eyes open, uh, waiting for USDA to make some uh, final changes that uh, they've been really reluctant to make, particularly on the demand side of things, both domestically and in the world market. Matt Bennett from agmarket.net, a final word from you. Yeah, I think uh, nothing would surprise me uh, whenever it comes to report next week. And so if you're a producer, you know that there's a particular move, probably lower, that you just simply wouldn't be able to stomach based upon how your farm is set up and the situations that you've made as far as input purchases and maybe lack of corn or soybean sales at this point. Uh, don't sit on your hands. There's tools you can use by all means. Like Mike said, sit down with one of us and you know get a plan in place because uh, a limit move lower, uh, for instance, in the corn market, uh, you know, wouldn't really work too well for most folks. And Mike Zuzla, GlobalComResearch.com out of Atchison, Kansas. It's a it's an interesting time period from a standpoint, Todd, that China could make or break us. And, and that really doesn't change that much. But it seems like the stakes are a lot higher because of the disease that they're fighting now. Um, two weeks ago, we were talking about 5% growth in China in 2023. That's still possible. But the trade may not start to think about that until February, March. So what I learned in mid-October when the wheat and the corn didn't save the soybean market was get hedged if you don't see the technicals come around because the momentum and the sentiment indicators do build upon each other. And unfortunately, in these fund-led markets, and I think that's a real key, especially when you're going down because it seems like it goes down a lot faster than it goes up. Commodity Week, of course, is a production of Illinois Public Media. You may find and listen to the whole of the program anytime you'd like. Our thanks go to our analysts today, including Matt Bennett of agmarket.net, Ellen Dearden of Ag Review, and Mike Zuzlo at globalcomresearch.com. I'm Illinois Extension's Todd Gleason.